Hello and welcome to another Parents at Work podcast, where we cover a range of topics for the working parent to thrive. All our podcasts aim to offer useful tips and practical examples that support you to successfully balance career, work and family. And we know it's not easy. If you have any questions, please send them to info at parentsatwork.com.au. Otherwise, enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Parents at Work Teen Clinic podcast. These clinics are an opportunity to dip into a short Q&A session and ask a question for yourself that may help another parent going through a similar issue. So check out the list of upcoming talks and feel free to send a question in. Today's episode is on relationships. Now let's be honest. The relationships are changing and they can perhaps change a smidgen faster than we are ready for them to. Relationships used to be within the family, with the odd relationship outside the family. But now their family are their friends, their sports team, their interest groups. Their relationships are starting to get a bit more complicated. Perhaps they're becoming romantic relationships. Perhaps they're in relationships with people you would not choose for them to be in relationship with. Mm, I have heard that a number of times. So let's consider for a moment how they learn to be in relationships. Do you remember the mirroring neurons we spoke about in other episodes? Well, they have been watching our relationships and how we interact with ourselves and with others for many years, right from the get-go really. It's never really been about what we say. In fact, as we know, teenagers are far more likely to watch and learn than listen and learn. So we may as well take a rest with our voices and make sure we are walking that talk. I remember growing up watching my mother and how she interacted with people, how she chatted with people in the shops, how really for her respect kind of was a given no matter what job they did. I didn't think anything of it until one of my daughters commented on the fact that I'm always chatting to salesperson or when we're buying something. And it got me thinking how much we take on that we do naturally because of what we see and what we think. And yet I work with young people all the time who have patterns of behavior that other people are considering dysfunctional, but make perfect sense to the young person themselves, because that is the reflection that they're given from their home families. So for example, if um, a young person um, is exhibiting racist or sexist behaviors, very often it'll be about unpacking what they consider as normal because a baby is not born racist or sexist. It learns that behavior from what it sees around them. Uh, It's what actually they perceive to be keeping them safe. So now one of the difficult things is that young people Well, I'd say all people are far more likely to be in relationship with a digital device than they are necessarily face to face with people. And that's made it difficult for young people to actually have those face to face relationships. They're actually very good at messaging um, or communicating online. But the social skills, the soft skills are ones that are a little less well developed. And that's where they get into a little bit more trouble. So when we think about the relationships with us in families and between parents and their children, that, that really does seem to change at this age. 
And the biggest thing is about communication. Now, we've done a whole episode on that, so I'm not going to cover it again. But it is worth reminding ourselves that communication is hugely important. But when we consider that the majority of our communication is nonverbal, it actually is, again, about being aware of how we're walking and, and what we're living that reflects to our children and then our young adults what we're meaning behind what we're saying. And interestingly, um, the young person will believe what we're, what we're uh, giving off non-verbally way over what we give off verbally, as I've said before. The relationship between a parent and their child is supposed to change. It's not to sp- supposed to stay a dependent relationship. Our job is to raise them, to be to feel loved and to know who they are um, well before what they do and to build that as what they take into their world. So we would essentially be raising confident, independent young adults who know who they are, they feel loved, they feel engaged with the world and they're accountable for their behavior. That's where it comes back to teaching at every opportunity and and walking by example, that it's important to take chances to um, consider and to uh, go out there and and potentially fail. That's a good thing. We learn through our mistakes, and we learn through when we have a perceived failure. Because of course, there's no. I don't believe there's any real failure out there. They're just lessons. They're just learnings. And that's the relationship that again we need to build with them. Is that whatever happens, they are loved by us it's the behavior that we can sometimes say no to and sometimes we really should say very loudly no to but there are competing demands on our time and as such building the relationship with the people we live with and the people in our home and our children needs to be a conscious choice if it hasn't been so before so what does that look like well It looks like when you come home, you leave work at work and you walk into the home and you try at at all possible levels not to bring what you experienced at work into the home until you learn to be consistent across both spaces. So we have a practice of um, when we first started this, my husband and I would um, put our worries on the tree just outside our house and then, you know, pick them up the next morning if they were still relevant to pick up and take to work. And someone shared that with us and it just really helped us just picture not coming into the home with that. So our practice when we left the office was to leave the office tidy and our desk ready for the next day so we completed our day there and as we walked out to um, the public transport or the car depending on how we were each getting home we would make that trip home where we let go even further of our day and prepared ourselves for the um, the rest time that came with evening at home we made a point we have made a point particularly recently of making sure that we eat together as often as we can and that's a great opportunity to um, connect with each other and find out about the day discuss all sorts of things about life and to really build um, a sense of support around what's going on in everybody's lives now if you haven't had dinner before 
um, or dinner has been a, a space of conflict, you may find that your uh, young people do not want to come to the table with you. And that's worth practicing. It's worth building and it's worth working on to make sure that the dinner table is a safe space as opposed to a potential um, danger zone. That's very much what my PhD is on about communication and um, how we can build safe spaces of communication. And really, again, I would encourage you to not do um, banter unless there is a firm, firm foundation on both sides of love. And um, then it can be more playful than uh, barbed. Very often, if we give our children permission to say when something is barbed, they will. They'll let us know. And every time I have been told, it is, I have not expected them to tell me when I've done it. And yet when they have told me, I have actually gone, yeah, you know what? I think actually there's an element of me trying to say X, but I said Y because I was worried about how X would be received. And now I'm learning just to go to Y. It's much simpler just to say it how it is. So um, again, if our young person is uh, supposed to be independent of us in order to build the relationships with other people and other partners that then give them the skills to go on and be independent in life, then we can't actually make them come to us for everything that they want to know. Because if we do that, they don't learn how to make independent choices and be accountable for those choices. So encouraging them to have relationships with other people and encouraging their friendships and setting standards for what's decent and respectful that's that that is um that should be our normal and should be their normal what i've noticed though is that low self-esteem and high anxiety and levels in uh, children then therefore growing into their teenage years is it encourages a kind of um encourages a melting pot that is fertile ground for trying to fit in and uh, trying to fit into social norms that actually are quite abusive rather than making their relationships about connection they make their relationships about need and satisfying each other's needs and that can lead to coping strategies that are you know we would class as dysfunctional um, or we may not notice them because there are coping mechanisms. So um, people can have relationships around sports, around um, work, and they might also have them around uh, mental health. So they might be in a group that actually promotes uh, disordered eating, or uh, maybe it's cutting, or maybe it is alcohol, maybe it is... Um, drugs, maybe it is vaping. I mean, there are just so many coping strategies at the moment. We have to kind of go back and say, why are they having a relationship with that rather than the relationship with what the tension is and actually dealing with that in the first place? So, you know, a relationship isn't just about another human being. It's actually about a relationship with the tension first and then um, how they are dealing with that tension, which, hello, we all feel in life and building relationships around them that actually are honest and um, genuine and have integrity. So that low self-esteem and high anxiety is, is, a, is a concern. And as parents, you know, really, really appreciating more about our children than criticizing them is actually going to build them into teenagers who, who trust themselves and trust their decision making and therefore are less likely to go into relationships where they'll accept a lower standard 
than the standard that um, perhaps they would accept if they needed someone to get to know them and accept them for who they are, you know, dysfunctional, unhappy or not. I just want to end with one bit. Get to know your teen for who they are rather than who you wish, want or hoped they would be. You may discover something quite amazing about them that you might not have noticed in your wish, want and hope state. All right, let's jump to the questions. Question number one, my teen doesn't want to talk to us anymore. Should I just let that go? I don't want to because I can see it affecting our relationship, but I can't make him talk to me, can I? Well, from my experience, uh, no, you can't make anyone talk to you just as no one can make you talk to them. But teens don't just stop talking. Moreover, they learn over a period of time that they're not being listened to. That may be in a busy house or for, because of competing voices and they actually just give up. Or perhaps they feel that what they say is not valued or perhaps being mocked and therefore they give up. One of the things that I have learned more than anything else is that it's not about the intention, it's about the perception. And if we truly want to have relationships with people, we need to understand how how what we're saying is being perceived. Now, we don't need to necessarily do anything about that if the way things are being perceived is um, unnecessarily sensitive and not how it's intended. But we do have to question genuinely how it's being intended. Do you remember me saying that I didn't actually realise the way I was sort of saying things with a slightly barbed tone um, because actually I hadn't even clocked it. But when someone said it back to me, I was able to reflect and go, you know what, actually, I do feel a bit um, cross about this or that and I'm not actually saying it. So we may have been really busy at work and not felt like talking when we get home. Um, marry that with they don't feel like talking when they get home and you've either got a silent home or you've got resentful conversation. So if you have found yourself like this parent not having much communication, here are some top tips on how to start them. First, be ready to listen when they want to talk. That means making yourself available. Apologise for being chatty before and that you are going to work on being around more. Oh, um, apologise for not being very chatty before and maybe not being very present before and that you're going to work on being around more and perhaps on your phone less. Don't make it too serious, but to be genuine and be honest. Next, ask and listen. Don't comment unless requested to do so. Watch the cues. Being in relationship is about um, listening, a lot more listening than, than, than talking. And conversations are likely to be short at the start because they're learning to trust you. Um, your relationship might in each other's company might be shorter to start off with because they might actually be a little questioning your honesty or your intention and they might be a little shocked that you're talking, listening or being in their company more. Get to know their interests and so that you can actually build a relationship based on some of their interests. And lastly, have fun. Um, If conversation is more fun and time together is more fun than serious, uh, then they're far more likely to spend time with you. You know, um, go suggest do something that they're interested in doing. Build a relationship through movement, perhaps, rather than just through uh, sitting down talking. And um, by the way, if you're thinking of building a relationship in front of the television, 
that may be okay to start off with, but what you're building a relationship with is the television and not each other. I just thought I'd put that one in there because I've fallen for that trap myself. Question two. My teen has started swearing at me and I don't quite know how to cope with it. I think it's the people she's hanging out with. I don't like them at all, but she seems to think they're nicer than the ones I'm suggesting she gets to know. <laughs> what can I do? Oh my goodness, have I done that? Um, I only did it uh, very early on and uh, for a very short time because I was firmly put back in my place by my children telling me that um, it was very easy to show a parent what they wanted to see Um, when they wanted to see it and then revert to normal behavior when the parent was out of the way and that they had a much better sense of who was a good person to hang around with than I was and I thought you know what fair enough I know some adults who do that too so I actually learned how to um, get to know what they liked about their friends as opposed to judging them and oh man I was so humbled by what I learned um, every every human being is a really gorgeous human being but we have all sorts of things that go on in our lives that mean that we have coping strategies that other people do or don't approve of and when you actually make it about being in relationship with yourself and therefore with others it just changes the way you see other people and your judgment of other people it doesn't under any circumstances mean that you accept abuse in a relationship at all respect and decency should be your lowest standard and that's where I come back to this question what is the standard that you have set in your home personally I don't like swearing I think it um, I have found in me that it is an indication that I've lost my cool, that I don't actually know how to communicate what I want to communicate, that I'm being lazy in my words, that I don't actually, um, whenever I swear, it comes with a bit of force that, um, well, you know what, we could do without. And if you look at another person when you swear, it's actually quite jarring. Now, if you hang around people that swear all the time, then everybody gets used to it and no one notices it anymore. And therefore it becomes their normal. And that's where the you've got to work out, okay, well, what is the normal these people have around them? In our home, swearing isn't normal, so swearing stands out. In someone else's home, swearing might be completely normal and therefore swearing doesn't hang um, doesn't stand out. When I talk to a lot of the young people that I work with, I'll always ask them, you know, um, when we do our standards of decency and respect model, I'll always ask them, you know, what is, how do your parents approve of you um, swearing so that they know for themselves where it's safe to swear and where it isn't. And they know perfectly well. Don't, don't be under any illusions that they don't. They know perf- perfectly well whether it's acceptable to swear in the home or not. So claim your space, own your boundaries, and uh, remember that teenagers need boundaries so that they know they are actually uh, safe and loved. They need to know that they're accountable for their behavior. It is a life skill and a life lesson. Now, the fact that she's hanging around friends that you don't like, um, I think I covered that before. The truth is that we're in relationships for a reason. We've got to work out what that reason is. What does she get out of those friends? We all like to blame everybody else's children for leading our children astray. Um, that I've seen in parents all through my parenting programs and all through you know, my upbringing and my life. And yet 
I you know sometimes our children can be can be the leaders sometimes they can be the followers so rather than judge look at the behavior see what they're getting out of the relationships and actually see if you can get to know their friends and maybe just discuss what it is about each other our kids know they know um, and they read and they understand again we need to give them more credit for understanding why they're in the relationships that they're in and funnily enough they will let go of the relationships when they no longer need them third question i can see my son needs someone to talk to but i am a single working parent and don't seem to be the person he wants to talk to what can i do I look, firstly, I appreciate being a single parent is a tough job because you're trying to represent all facets of a relationship. Um, So again, try and have as many people around you as possible uh, to to represent those different facets and different, have different mentors. But I would ask, um, have you asked your son if he's okay? And perhaps let him know you've noticed he seems less keen on things than he used to enjoy or that he stops seeing his friends. Um, it, it actually what they want to know is that you've seen, but you're not judging. So make it about what's changing in their life and what they might want out of their life as opposed to they're not ticking your boxes anymore because they might actually purposefully not be ticking your boxes, but also struggling to not tick their own boxes for what they want. Friendships and relationships with people outside the family are starting to more to be more important. Therefore, it is um, when you look at the Mission Australia survey, which if you ever get an opportunity to is fantastic, um, it shows that teenagers are more likely to ask their friends for help than their family for help. Even though family is still important, friends become more important and that's where they very often will will source support but um, they may be carrying a, a burden for another friend and they may not feel like they can discuss it so you know what's your relationship with counseling or um, psychology do you um, are you open to that do you how do you talk about depression and sadness and would you know the difference about stress and anxiety and depression and it might be worth just really starting to make sure that the conversations you have around that are um, kind and they're open and they're, uh, they leave space for potentially um, encouraging your son to consider counselling as an opportunity for him to, to talk to someone outside the home and to get it all out. He doesn't even have to bring it up with that person again, but just to get it out with someone who's non-judgmental. And remember, again, that's another relationship. So it's about making sure that that relationship is one that is healthy um, and they don't have to stick with the same counsellor. If they don't get on with that counsellor, then find another one. Also, it may be that uh, if depending on the stress that they're coping with, there might be some vitamin deficiencies and it might be worth just checking in with the doctor and getting some blood tests and just checking that everything's all right in the you know, the iron levels and the B levels and things like that. Again, we just got to remember what are the relationships our children are trying to build? Who are they trying to fit in with? If they're trying to fit in with what we would call the wrong crowd, why would they feel, um, why would they feel that they were the crowd that they wanted to be in? Um, This is where they also start to build a bit of a relationship with alcohol. What's your relationship with alcohol? Do you go to a party and party without alcohol? If not, chances are they won't see that that's an option for them. 
So it's important to remember that it's better to model relationships with um, relationships with stress, uh, relationships with each other, model respectful relationships, and don't assume they know how to have one if you don't model it. Uh, maybe question yours. What more respect could I bring to the relationships I have around me? At the dinner table, and I would very much encourage dinner table conversation, um, what is the respect that we have for each person talking? Do we all talk over each other? And could we actually just start by saying, how about we stop talking over each other? And how about we learn to listen to each other as we go around the table? And we actually learn to listen and not then jump in with, oh, I do that maybe ask more questions than jump in with our own example or our own solution. Remember that all behaviour is a form of communication and teens are working with a brain that is rejigging to deal with the new requirements of upcoming independence and more complex relationships at the same time as constantly learning through an education system that has a pace and agenda that cannot easily bend to individual growth patterns. So home needs to be that space, space and grace in the home, I always say. It's much easier to work on a prevention, health and balance model than trying to fix and address an issue once it's exploded. So um, honesty and getting support at an early stage would be my number one top tip for healthy relationships. If there's trust with each other that no matter what, love for each other is still there, then everything is possible. It's about making sure that everybody feels loved. Be consistent, predictable, reliable. Thank you for listening to this month's episode. I look forward to catching you, uh, catching up with you again next month. And don't forget, check out the list, send in a question and I will be more than happy to answer it. And don't forget, there are lots of resources for you through the Parents at Work website. Um, lots of other podcasts to listen to for health and well-being and for de-stressing. So uh, tap into that, use those resources and keep yourself relaxed, healthy and walk that talk. Till next time. Bye. Bye.